So in talking to Dow yesterday about kind of what this was gonna look like this morning, the thing that we kept coming back to in that conversation and really as the Holy Spirit led was this idea of how do we reach our neighbors? How do we reach the people who live across the street from us, who work with us, who go to the marketplace with us and even go to church with us? How do we reach them with the gospel of Jesus? And that is a loaded question that obviously we can't cover in the time that we have this morning, but it does presuppose one thing and that's that we're in Christ. And so I just wanna tell you, I know it's a little odd to do this at the beginning of the service, but I just wanna tell you that if you don't know Jesus, if you have not surrendered your life to him, we want you to do that before you leave here today. There are dozens of people in this room, including me and my wife, who will stay here all afternoon to talk to you about how you can know Christ personally as your savior. He is real, he is God, he is in charge, he has all of it planned out and laid out from time eternal. And here's the thing, he put himself in this form and hung himself on a cross and rose again so that you could have a relationship with God for eternity, a relationship with him here and a relationship with him in heaven for eternity. And if you haven't looked at yourself hard and looked at God hard and said, God, I trust in what you have done and I wanna surrender my life to you. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and that you raised him from the dead so that I can have that relationship. Please do that today. I couldn't beg you any harder. And the truth is, if you haven't done that, almost none of what I'm gonna say today is gonna make sense. In fact, scripture says that you, you won't understand it, that the things of God are spiritually discerned through the power of the Holy Spirit and that if you are not saved, and you don't have the Holy Spirit living in your life, you're, you're not gonna understand anything that we do today. Jesus in scripture gave essentially three commands. Love God, love people, make disciples. In fact, he said all of the rules and commands that are laid out in the Old Testament are summed up into those two commands, love God and love people. And why did he say that? Because if you love God, you will spend time with him you will spend time in his word. You will follow his commands. You will try to emulate his character. You will be what scripture says you are, which is a reflection of the God of the universe if you love him. If you do not love him, all of the rules and tasks and check boxes and everything else that we could lay out in front of you in church and that is laid out in front of people in every church in America on Sundays is gonna mean nothing to you. You won't do it because you don't love God. And the second to that, he said, is to love people. Really love them. It's not just the idea of you feel sorry for them or I want to see them have a better life or I wanna see them uh, have more money or a better job or whatever. It's to love people where they are, who they are, how they are, just the way Christ did. Because why? If I love people, number one, I'll share the gospel. I'll share the gospel. The famous magician group, Penn and Teller. Penn is a notorious atheist. But one of the things that he said about Christianity is how much must you hate me to not tell me the truth of the gospel if you really believe what you say you believe? Because if I believe what I say I believe about who Jesus is, about what eternity is, about what hell is, and eternal separation for God, if I really believe that, how much do I have to hate somebody not to tell them the truth? So that's why Jesus said, if you love people, 
you will tell them the truth, and then you will come alongside them as you live out that truth together. That's the heart of discipleship. And when we use that big biblical word of discipleship, that's what we mean. We love people, and we come alongside them and walk out God's plan for them on a daily basis. Make disciples. You ever wonder why when you trusted Christ and were baptized, he didn't just call you up to heaven in a chariot of fire? You just didn't get to go home? That would have been pretty awesome. I think more people would trust Christ and get baptized if they saw that happen one time. Maybe not. The reason, the only reason that you're left here after you trust Christ, the only reason I'm here is to make disciples. And here's what's the astonishing thing. Jesus said in his word, and this is mind-blowing, if I stay with you, we will do less than if I leave. The God of the universe in human flesh who raised the dead and calmed the seas, raised from the dead himself, said, if I stay, we're gonna accomplish less than if I go and give you the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit work through you. That is mind-boggling. So what Jesus said to each one of us who's in Christ is you will do more through the power of the Holy Spirit than I could have ever done in this casing, in this limitation of human flesh that I was in when I walked on earth. And that's crazy. It really is. But he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. And that's what making disciples means. It means dedicating my life to the one thing that God left me here for after he rescued me from sin which was to make disciples. And yet, we seem to find the ability to do everything else. I'll give you a staggering statistic that Dow and I talked about yesterday. Less than 2% of American Christians will ever tell anyone how they can come to know Christ. Less than 2%. 85% of pastoral staff in America last year never shared the gospel of Jesus outside of the walls of their church. What are we here for? Why are we hanging around here if we're not gonna share the gospel of Jesus? And that's what we wanna talk about today. How do we reach our neighbors? And I think part of the issue is that, and listen, I grew up Baptist, okay? My daddy's a Baptist preacher. Jenny grew up Baptist. We grew up in churches just like this one. I mean, same carpet, same pews. It feels like as much home as as anything could feel to me. I love choral music. Guys, that choir, guys, phenomenal. Jenny and I love choral singing. Sing it, listen to it. I love everything about it. It's not about where we meet at church. Jenny and I meet in a school over at East Point Academy, and we unpack our church from a trailer every Sunday. We've been doing that for the better part of six years. It's fantastic. has absolutely nothing to do with anything. I'd love to have some choir music every once in a while, but that doesn't matter. We can go through all the lists and we can have all the evangelism training and have all the classes and the small groups and all the thing. And I can sit with you individually and I can show you how to share Christ. And you're gonna say, well, I'm just not good at it. I don't know if I'm gonna have the right answers. I just don't really like to engage people. I'm sort of introverted. And we're gonna throw out all the excuses that I threw out as a young man when I sat in evangelism training and fell asleep because we're talking about how to do something as opposed to the desire to do it. I love this quote from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. If you want to build a ship, 
Don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Why? Because if I love the sea, and I love being at sea, I will build the ship. If I do not love the sea, I couldn't be convinced in a million years to do the work necessary to build a ship. So it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning is I have to love the Lord and I have to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I do, I'll build the ship. I will win other people to Christ or at least tell them as often as I can. Let's look at Acts chapter one, verses six through seven. I'm in the New Living Translation. If you wanna follow along with me in your Bible. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Jesus replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power in verse eight when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse nine, he says, after saying this, he was taking up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. Now the Bible doesn't tell us who these men were. Some people believe it's angels. Some people believe it's some of the prophets. It really doesn't matter. Two men were standing there miraculously next to the disciples as Jesus rose to heaven. And they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there staring into heaven? This seems odd. This is a life-changing event for the men who are standing here watching Jesus ascend into heaven. And you would think after he told them, you're gonna be my disciples and you're gonna witness to the entire world and you're gonna carry my cross, and after he's given them all of these instructions, you'd think he'd give them a couple of weeks to get their feet under them. You know, you know, a couple of weeks just to have some plans, maybe come up with an order of service, build a building, something so we could do. But no, we're talking about seconds. As they're watching him rise into heaven, there are two dudes right here. And they look over and the guy says, why are y'all standing here? What did he tell you to do? Why don't you guys go get after it? So the question for us is why, why are we standing here? staring into heaven we can do all of the things that church involves we can do all of the things that God's word involves and we can look pretty doing it but at the end of the day the reason we don't witness is because we're standing around staring into heaven we're watching Jesus we're talking about Jesus we're looking at his word we're talking about how awesome it would be if we actually did some of the stuff he said but we're not doing it what does it mean to be a witness? I'm a lawyer in, in real life. Um, I didn't stay on a Holiday Inn Express last night, but I did get a law degree from the University of South Carolina. I've been practicing for almost 23 years now. Witnesses are someone that you call to attest to what they have observed. And I tell people all the time that our oath of witnesses is really wrong. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's impossible. The truth is found in God's word. That's the only truth I have for you is what God says is true. 
It is totally objective. It has nothing to do with what I say or think or imagine or anybody else who's ever walked this earth thinks. It's objective truth. It never changes. That's the only truth. The witness of it should be, I swear to tell what I have observed, only what I have observed to the best of my ability. Why? Because four of us could see the same thing from a different perspective in this room and our witness testimony is going to be different. But... The other thing that's important is we're going to be witnesses of that fact. So one of the main excuses for Christianity is I don't know the right thing to say. Well, it's personal. Jesus loves me. We played it before the kids went out. Jesus saved me. Jesus reached down into the muck and mire and grabbed me by the nape of my neck through the power of the blood and pulled me out of it and set me on solid ground and looked me in the face and said, you're no longer a slave, you're mine. That's personal. I can tell everybody about that. And I don't have to know all the doxology. I don't have to know what sanctification means. I don't have to know what propitiation means. I don't have to know, I don't have to have a seminary degree. I can tell anybody, anywhere, anytime, Jesus loves me, he loves you, and here's what he did because it's personal. Look at John chapter 14, verses 16 through seven. I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Down in verse seven, he says, you know him because he lives with you now and later will be inside you. That is personal. These are men obviously that walked with Christ and women they walked with him. They got to see him live, so they knew him personally. But what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is a personal God. He's going to live in you and minister to you. That is a personal experience that you can talk about. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him he was revealed to us everyone in this room who trusted christ when confronted with your sin and confronted with your eternal damnation and you saw christ and his rescue for you and you trusted him you came face to face with him and he put the holy spirit in you to minister to you to guide you it's very personal so the number one excuse that Christians give in survey data by the Barna Research Group, I don't know what to say. I just overcame it for you. It's personal. Talk about what he's done for you. The second thing is that it's about the whole gospel. It's about the whole gospel. There was a very sacrilegious, inappropriate movie many years ago called Dogma. And one of the funniest things about the movie Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. One of the funniest things about the movie, there's a church in New York who's trying to get more parishioners. And so they build a statue called Buddy Jesus. And Buddy Jesus has a big grin on his face and his thumb up and he's standing outside the church. So people will not be intimidated by Jesus. Jesus is the God of the universe. He's terrifying he holds the entire universe in his hand and he does whatever he wants to. He holds it together. He sustains it. The New Testament teaches us that he's the one that spoke the words of life. He said, let there be light. That God 
hung himself on a cross and rose again for me. And not only did he do that, he walked out of the grave three days later. We sang about it this morning. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. Why? Because he walked out. He didn't, he didn't float out. He didn't swoon on the cross. He didn't spiritually, in a matter of speaking, rise from the dead. He got up. He folded his grave clothes. He laid them on the table. He rolled the stone away and walked out. And he's alive today. That's the whole gospel You can't leave little pieces laying around to make your friends and neighbors feel better about your spirituality. You have to tell them the whole truth. And if you went to anybody about anything, if I came home from a trip for two days and Jenny said, what do you do? What did you do? I was like, "Uh, I ate a couple of meals. And what else did you do? Oh, gosh, I mean, you know, slept. She's not going to feel really good about my trip. It's the whole gospel. I've got to lay it all out there. This is the truth of who Jesus is. Take it or leave it. I don't have to make excuses for him. He doesn't need me to make apologies. He doesn't need me to stand up for him. He said, if I don't speak, the rocks and trees will cry out. I don't need you. But I, I've, I've got this plan that involves you. Look at Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Once again, we're witnesses. Jesus said, you're gonna be my witnesses. Well, I'm a witness to who he is. And now I'm a witness that he rose from the dead. Why? Because he's alive and he lives in me. Acts chapter 10, verses 39 through 41. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance. Why? To be his witnesses. Again, we've got the New Testament authors focusing in on this idea that, yeah, this is all cool, but prophets healed the sick. Prophets did all kinds of miracles in God's name, but only Jesus walked out of the grave on his own after taking on the sins of the world. Acts chapter 10, verses 42 and 43 says the same thing. Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. That's terrifying. Everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven. That's the gospel. The one who has the power to throw me into hell for eternity is also the one who bled and died on the cross and rose for me so I didn't have to. He's the only one who could. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. The beautiful choir piece earlier, speak the name. He's the only one. The only name that can do it is Jesus. That's the whole gospel. The third thing is it's not your job. It's in the Spirit's power. You understand how impossible what Jesus told the disciples was? You're going to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the utter ends of the earth with the gospel, and you're going to turn the world upside down. And you're going to be tortured and killed, and the gospel is going to press on and spread to the whole world. We had believers in our service at City Church this morning from Uganda, and they're in Christ. You know why? Because the gospel went to the whole world. It's impossible in the name of humans, but not in the name of Jesus the power of the Holy Spirit, it is absolutely possible. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. He is God. 
And he's given by God to those who obey him. Acts 1.8, the very famous verse that we can, those of us who've been in church for a while can probably quote with no problem. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And after you receive that power, what are you gonna do? You're gonna have concerts? You're gonna build big churches? You're gonna become a national celebrity? No, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not your job to win people to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit's job. It's your job to tell them to be a witness. And it's all you are. And we're witnesses to things all the time. It's astonishing to me how many Christians can get on social media and shill for a restaurant they've been to once, literally one time. Best meal ever. You should all go. But they can't tell one person about the God of the universe who saved them from eternal damnation? Not one. It's not your job to save people. It's just your job to be a witness of who Jesus is and what he's done, particularly in you. He does the saving. You do the telling and the trusting. The fourth thing is that salvation is the goal. Salvation is the only goal for everything that we do is so that others can come to Christ. You know why we're here on Sundays and while we're at City Church on Sundays and people are over here at State Street and other churches on Sundays? What we're supposed to be here for is building each other up, encouraging each other, discipling each other, challenging each other to live the life that looks like Jesus. So when we walk out of these doors, people will encounter us and go, wow, what is wrong with that person? That's the weirdest person I've ever met. They have joy, they have peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. They love people. This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Why are they like this? Because they're like Christ. That's why. Our goal is not to come here and have fun. It's not to come here and have this wonderful building that God has blessed you guys with and this property and a great staff and all of these beautiful people. It's all great. But the point to come here is so that others will be saved. And we know that others won't be saved if we don't leave these doors this morning looking like Jesus. They're not going to care. You go out today and live your life like everybody else lives it and then go, oh, by the way, come to Jesus. Why should I? You look just like me. You're doing all the stuff I do. What's the difference? Salvation is the goal. We want people to be saved, not to be better off, not to come to our church. In fact, I would encourage you. Dow, we'll talk about this later. Stop inviting people that don't know Christ to church. Tell them about Jesus you sit with them, you spend the time, see them come to Christ, and they'll sprint after you to church. The church is for those who are in Christ. The, the literal word means the body of Christ. You tell people. I ran a guy off from City Church two years ago. I handled it poorly. He took me to lunch, which is always a bad sign. Nobody ever buys me lunch unless they want to complain about something. Or it's Jenny. Jenny. But he, he started talking about all the things we weren't doing at City Church. And I let him go for 20 minutes. And then I said, hey, man, where do you live? And he told me. And I said, okay, well, that's a court. Is that a cul-de-sac? Yeah. What's the name of your neighbor on the end of the cul-de-sac? Don't know. 
All right, what about your neighbor across the street? What's his name? Bill, what's his last name? Ah, oh, gosh, I think it's Patterson. Does he know Jesus? I don't know. Okay, listen, Bill, let's stop talking about our children's ministry and the fact we don't have our own building. And Why don't you share the gospel with your neighbors? Why? Because salvation of others is the goal. In Luke chapter five, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Your pastor, your staff, many of you spend the great bulk of your time chasing around Christians who don't wanna be caught. People who say I'm in Christ, but they literally don't wanna do anything that Christ said do. And you spend the bulk of your time chasing them around and trying to make them happy and don't leave Holland Avenue, please come back over here. There's a whole world out there lost and dying who doesn't know Christ and doesn't give a care in the world about church polity or procedure or anything like that. They need to know Christ. They're dying and going to hell without him. Jesus said, don't waste your time on people who say they're righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. Everybody in this room should know what to do. Everybody in this room's life should be fully dedicated to Christ at all times and willing to put everything down for kingdom work. That should be presumed. I should not have to stand up here. Dow should not have to stand up here. Any of your other staff should never have to stand up here and try to convince you to do what Christ has called you to do. It should be presumed. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 spends verse after verse after verse talking about the things he has done and the things that he does, methodology, wise. And every one of them, he says, to bring many to Christ, to bring the Jews to Christ, to bring them to Christ, to bring the weak to Christ. Meaning everything I do and everything I have done and all the people I've made mad and all the things that I've suffered and all the places I've been, I've done all of that for one reason, to bring people to Christ. That's how we reach our neighbors, guys that everything that we do and say and the way that we live is intended to bring others to Christ. Jim Elliott, who many of you know, his wife Elizabeth, one of my favorite authors of all time. I'm sure many of you have read Elizabeth's studies and it's, you know, unbelievable story. Jim was killed trying to take the gospel to native South Americans and basically was warned that if you go there, they will kill you. Elizabeth and a team after Jim's death went back and translated the Bible into that language and won hundreds of those people to Christ. Jim said this, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road make me a fork in the road that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. That prayer is that God, don't let anybody who comes in my path leave without knowing one, that I'm in Christ and two, that they can be too. What happens after that is the power of the Holy Spirit and his conviction. They're probably gonna run in the other direction screaming or they're going to want to know more that's the fork in the road that Jim Elliott is talking about you can't let people who are in your radius 
sit on the fence about who Jesus is and about who you are in Christ. So the question I have for all of us this morning is why are you standing there? And that's the question that these men were asking the disciples. It's the question that Jesus is asking us. What's it going to cause? What's it going to take to cause you to move? And it's really just a love of God, a love of people, and a willingness to be obedient and make disciples. Christian life is very simple. Dow and I laughed about this yesterday. It's, it's fundamentally super simple. You know what's hard? Obedience. Obedience is hard. Why? Because it's going to cause me to put down things. And I'm going to have to give things up. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose family members. I'm not going to be able to go as many Clemson Tiger football games. I'm going to have to sell something. I've got to put things down to be obedient. That's why it's hard. Because it causes me to give something up. The very secondary reason that I'm here today is to give you an opportunity to impact and win your neighbors. Jenny and I have been for several years involved in what's called the Scooter Scott Project. It is a nonprofit in West Columbia. It operates particularly in Lexington II School District. It's named for the late Reverend Scooter Scott uh, who passed away several years ago. Uh, He was a graduate of Airport High School. He was the team chaplain for the airport high football team he held many I mean a guy wore so many hats it's a wonder he was just one person I mean everybody that I ever encounter who tells stories about Scooter I'm like did this guy sleep like was there ever a time that he went to bed but he began mentoring youth and and working in uh, basically youth ministry and so after he passed away those those who were working with him in what was called the Nehemiah project at the time renamed it the Scooter Scott project it's a South Carolina nonprofit 501c3 it's totally volunteer staff. There are no full-time employees, and it's volunteer-driven. And the cool thing about that is, is that every, every dollar that comes into the ministry one way or the other goes to ministry work and not to supporting heavy overhead and salaries and, and those kinds of things. Uh, we live off the sort of the beneficial nature of churches and other organizations in the city that allow us to meet in certain places and host events and those kinds of things. But the biggest thing that I love about the Scooter Scott Project, it is gospel-centered. You cannot come to anything that we do without hearing the gospel. You're going to hear who Jesus is, what that means for you, and how you can know him. And if you sit there for any period of time, you can't miss it. It's very overt. And the people that support us don't seem to care. In fact, we have support from the state of South Carolina, which I still can't figure out how DJJ has done that, except that we're one of their most successful uh, groups that they send funds to. Jenny and I are the co-directors of the Leadership Academy, which is basically a youth mentoring program that teaches life skills. Uh, we teach them how to run a small business through a hand soap business, and every dollar that the kids earn through the hand soap business goes to a scholarship program. Uh, since Jenny and I have been involved, we've had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six students in the Scooter Scott Project trust Christ as their Savior. Not because of Jenny and I, has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that Jesus is held up primarily at all times. And that's it. And it's a, it's a tailor-made environment where you've got a captive audience where you can share Christ. We also run a free GED program. We have a driver permit training, which actually we have a driver permit training this week. So if you need something to do one night this week for Christ, and you do, so I shouldn't say if, you have something to do for Christ this week. But if that's something you would be interested in, you can volunteer for driver permit training this week. All we do is walk kids through the driver manual and help them 
get their driver's permit. We try to focus on older kids who haven't gotten their permit yet and are getting ready to graduate, but it's open for everybody who's eligible to do that. We also put snack packs together for Lexington too, and that's through food donations and money donations from all over town. Um, I could sit up here all day and talk about this, but I'm not going to because your time is valuable. I put contact information up on the screen and I'll give you a second to, to write that down if you want to. We have a Facebook page that is still under construction, but you can get some information there. We also have a Facebook page that's been up for a long time. So you can go on and see pictures and activities of what we've been doing. Um, the Scooter Scott project is uh, mostly funded and staffed by churches in the West Columbia Casey area. So uh, Grace Chapel, Platte Springs United Methodist Church, City Church, Laurel Baptist Church, State Street, Holland Avenue uh, already has some folks. Johnny Blevins particularly, if you guys know Johnny, Johnny is one of our regular volunteers and works in the Leadership Academy as well. If you want to know more about what his experience with the Scooter Scott Project, I, I just encourage you to get time with Johnny. He would love to tell you about what we do and how we do it. I say all of that to say this. There's any number of ways that you can be in your community in KC West Columbia and share Christ, not just the Scooter Scott Project. The Scooter Scott Project is something that Jenny and I have uh, felt strongly enough about to give a significant amount of time to. And so if you'd like to join us in that, I would love to talk to you about it. But the overarching theme is not that you do volunteer work at the Scooter Scott Project. The overarching theme is each one of you needs to get on your knees with God alone and talk to him about what he would have you do to impact your community. And the answer is not be a prayer warrior, although we need prayer warriors. The answer is not give to my church or rely on Pastor Dow or whoever to share the gospel. The answer you already know, which is that he's called you to make disciples. You don't have to guess about that. The question is, how does he want you to do that in your circle of influence? And if you'll do that, I promise you, if you will do that sincerely and you will spend that time with God in prayer and looking at his word and really wanting to know the answer, I promise you he will put the opportunities in front of you and he will do it on a daily basis. So it's a scary prayer, all right? So don't mishear me and say, well, that, that Brian guy led me astray. He said, if I prayed this guy... God's gonna put all kinds of opportunities in your path. And at some point you might go, God, enough opportunities, thanks. I got, I got them, thank you. But it's gotta be what you're about and what you want. And I want this deeply for your body. We love you guys. And we're as much a part of this body in terms of our time here, and particularly Jenny, as we've been any body of believers anywhere during the entire course of our marriage. We love you. We wanna see God use every single one of you to make an impact with power for his kingdom, not to build Holland Avenue, but to build his kingdom and see people in Casey, West Columbia come to Christ. Because if they don't, they're gonna die and go out into eternity to a godless hell forever. And that has to be something that terrifies us, that breaks our heart and causes our feet to move.